This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey reader, I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of At Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves, and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today, I'm thrilled to be chatting with Amanda Peters about The Berry Pickers. The Berry Pickers is one of those books that will stay with me for a very long time. It is a character-driven story with so much heart. I picked it up and I did not put it down until I had finished it. Amanda is a writer of Mi'kmaq and Settler Ancestry. She is the winner of the 2021 Indigenous Voices Award for Unpublished Prose, and her work has appeared in Grain, Alaska Quarterly Review, and elsewhere. She lives in the Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia. I hope you enjoy our conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, before we get started with the interview, I want to let you know about something new that I am trying this year. This week and next week, I am asking for anyone who is interested to record a blurb about your top read of 2023, or one of your top reads if you have more than one. Want to participate? Make a voice memo recording on your phone. Find a quiet place in your home, like a closet, with no kids or animals around, so that your recording is solid and clear and doesn't have a lot of echo. Please give me your name, where you are from, and the book. Don't forget the title and the author that is your top or one of your top reads of 2023. Quickly give a summary of the book and then tell me why you chose it as one of your top reads of the year. Please make sure the recording is under three minutes long. I find it helpful myself to make notes and practice a little bit ahead of recording. When you are finished, email the recording to me at cindyhburnett at att.net. And that's C-I-N-D-Y, the letter H, Burnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T at att.net with favorite read of 2023 as the subject line. The episode will run in early December, so stay tuned. Welcome, Amanda. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. A little bit sleepy, but overall really good. Well, you've had an exciting couple of weeks with your book, so I can't wait to talk all about that. But first, congrats are in order because you have been racking up the accolades. 
You've had starred reviews from Kirkus and Booklist. You had a really great New York Times interview. And then recently, Barnes & Noble picked your book as the 2023 Discover Prize winner. How exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Somewhat overwhelming. I'm kind of like, what's happening right now? Pinch me, pinch me. But I'm really thrilled. Well, that's so exciting. And I can't wait to talk more about it. But before we do that, will you give me a quick synopsis of the book for those that haven't read it yet? Sure. Um, The story is a dual narrative told from the perspective of Joe and Ruthie. And Joe is six and Ruthie is four when she goes missing from the berry fields of Maine. Now, the reason they're in the berry fields of Maine is that the Mi'kmaq from Nova Scotia and Atlantic Canada generally used to, and some still do, go down to pick berries in the summer to make money. So they're there and the little girl goes missing. And then the story is told from Joe's perspective as he ages and grows older and the guilt he holds and from a girl named Norma, who is raised in a white affluent family in Maine and can't really understand why she doesn't quite belong. So how did you decide to write this story and how did you come up with the idea for it? Yeah, I love this question, actually. Um, This was my dad. So my dad was a berry picker. My dad's Mi'kmaq. So him and his family picked berries in the 1960s and 70s down in Maine. So when he found out I was writing, he said, you should write about the berry pickers. And I said to him, I write fiction, Dad. I don't write nonfiction. But he was adamant. So we loaded up the Prius, my car, and we went down to the berry fields of Maine. And the whole drive down, he told me all these wonderful, amazing stories. And we got there. He showed me the fields where they used to work and the cabin where they used to stay and told me all about the supply store and the local people he knew. And while I was down there, the first line of the first chapter Uh, Not the prologue, but the first chapter came to me. So I just said, okay, dad, here we go. And I went with it. (laughs) Well, that explains why you bring the berry fields so vividly to life. I just felt like I was right there with them as they were picking in the cabin and all of it because you really spent some time there. Yes, I did. It was only three days. And funny enough, I just went down to Portland, Maine for my official launch down there this past week. And my dad, I took my dad with me and we drove to the same berry fields and he told me the same story. So it was quite nice. (laughs) Reiterating everything to make sure you had it all down. Yeah. (laughs) And seeing if there was another book he could inspire, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true too, I guess. He's like, well, this worked so well. Let's try again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I love the way Kirkus summed up the book. The novel is less concerned with maintaining a mystery than with exploring how brutality ripples out, touching everything and everyone in its wake. I felt that was such an apt description because I knew Norma was Ruthie, so I could really focus on the impact of Ruthie's kidnapping on everyone involved. How did you decide to handle it that way? Yeah, I had folks when I started writing it saying, you should make this more of a mystery and put that towards the end. I said, no, I don't want it to be a mystery. I'm not a mystery writer. I want people to become invested in the characters and their journey through all this grief and trauma and joy. Of course, there's some joy. So I just said no, and I I stood my ground, and I said, this is my voice, and this is how I want to tell the story. Um, And I want it to be less about like plot and more about the characters and and how they deal with everything that's happened to them. So I I think it turned out okay. I thought it turned out great. It was beautifully done. I knew who was who from the beginning, and I really felt that worked so well, because you do know that, but you don't know what happened. You don't know where Ruthie was. You don't know how she became Norma. So you do learn that as the story unfolds. But I felt that it really added to the story because the focus is on the people and what happened to them and and how they led the rest of their lives versus trying to unravel this mystery. 
Yeah, exactly. And I just wanted it to be um, sort of like a character study, I guess. And I wanted people to feel empathy, even with most, the most despicable of characters and try to evoke that. So yeah, I was, I was, I was really proud how it turned out. You should be. And obviously it turned out quite well because all sorts of great things are happening for you. Mm, yes, indeed. <laughs> Surprising, but lovely. <laughs> Very lovely. Well, there are a variety of themes, as we were just touching on a little bit, that you address in this one. Loss, grief, trauma, family ties. We haven't mentioned this, erasing Indigenous history and the other things. How did you decide what you were going to explore and how you would explore it? Uh, I always find this question a little bit interesting because I don't think I intended to explore those things intentionally. I just wanted to tell a story that I would like to read. So when I started writing, those things just came out naturally. And I think they came out naturally because... For example, I've worked in Indigenous governance and administration and in my home community of Blues Cap First Nation. I worked there for eight years and I've seen a lot of things. I've attended um, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission witness um, session where I listened to those who have been in residential schools tell their stories, which was so upsetting. And just I just wanted to hold them all. Um, so I think just because of the nature of who I am and my life experiences, those things came into the story naturally. I don't think I actually intended to write about them. Like I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a story about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, right? It's just um, a byproduct of being who I am and my life experience working in that area, I think. That makes sense. And starting with your dad's story of working in the blueberry field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How did you decide that Joe and Norma would narrate the story? I didn't actually. Well, I did on Joe. So I wanted to be a first person uh, narrator because I feel like when you have a first person, there's a more um, relationship with the character. Like it's like they're sitting around the fire telling you the story. So I knew I wanted it to be first person and I knew I wanted Joe's story. But Norma's story wasn't originally in my head at the very beginning. It was just Joe telling the story of what happened to him. And then I was working on it, working on it. And it just, there was a little voice, I, I say, in my head saying, I want to tell my own story. I, I have a story to tell too. So then I was like, okay, I guess, I guess Norma uh, slash Ruthie has a story to tell. I did find it somewhat difficult at first because I wanted to ensure that they had separate and equally um, important voices in the story. So what I ended up doing was I wrote most of Joe's chapters first, and then I wrote Ruthie's or Norma's chapters, and I put them together at the end. So I think that really worked in helping uh, delineate the voices because I was completely in Joe's head, and then I left Joe, and then I went completely into Norma's head and wrote her. So I think it worked well. It definitely did. And I was curious how you did that, because I do think it can be difficult when you have multiple points of view to make sure you stay true to the one that you're writing at the right time. Exactly. So that's why I kind of did all of Joe first so that I could just get him out of my head and get his story told and then did Norma and then piece them together in the end. And both of them have such compelling tales. I kept going back and forth thinking, OK, these poor people. But Joe, just feeling so responsible for Ruthie disappearing, even though he was young, six. I mean, mm -hmm. he couldn't have done anything. But the fact that he carried it with him always. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when you have close family ties like that, and perhaps like he lives his whole life with guilt that he puts on himself. No one else thinks he's responsible, but he just takes this on. Um, when you have a loving family and one goes missing or one passes, I think somebody would feel responsible for her being four years old and him being the last person to see her. He just carries that guilt and it occasionally turns into anger uh, and he becomes a very dysfunctional person because of it. 
Absolutely. And they were so close and spent a lot of time together. So I think that also contributed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then poor Norma. Can you imagine you feel like you have these memories that people are telling you are dreams and all of these things are happening to you and you just can't quite feel settled Mm -hmm. and then eventually realize, okay, this is why. Yeah. um, So it, it was, it's kind of interesting when I was writing, I, was, I did a little bit of research. I was like, when do children actually form concrete memories? So um, apparently it happens when you're six or seven, but you always have these flashes, right? Of, of before that time, like I have flat, just tiny little microcosm of memories, I think, that flash. And I think it was easy to convince her of that because she was so young that all, all those things were dreams and they, they weren't real. But she, I think she kind of knew deep down that they were real. Yes, especially when people would comment on her skin tone mm-hmm. or various things like that. She would think, okay, something's not right here. Yeah, and she always figured, like she figured out through bi- her biology class that her earlobes weren't the same as her parents and those are genetic anomalies. So yeah, I think yeah, she, she, I think she wanted so much for them to love her and, and to be part of this loving family that she just kind of let some of these clues bypass her. Oh, don't you think we all do that? Yeah. There are times when you think something doesn't seem right here, but I really want it to be okay. So you ignore those things that are kind of poking at you. Yes. And when you have somebody reinforcing that constantly, then I think it, it, it just led to her believing it. Was it hard to write from her point of view? I don't think so. It wasn't hard. I think I see a little bit of myself in Norma, just my issues because I am of Mi'kmaq and Settler. My mom is not Mi'kmaq. And I, I struggle sometimes with my identity of where I'm supposed to fit in into this world. So I, I kind of sympathized and empathized, was a little bit Norma when I was writing it. Um, so I, I, I have a great love for her and I have a great respect for the battles she fought. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's interesting that it maybe made it a little easier to write her because you could write from your personal experience. Yeah. And there's like they say, there's nothing truer than fiction because everybody can relate to something in a fictional in a fictional work usually. And I related strongly to to Norma's sense of, I don't know if I belong where I am. Where is it that I do belong? Yeah, yeah. Where is it? And then the search for it. And now for a quick break to take a moment and thank today's sponsor, Air Doctor. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take approximately 20,000 breaths a day. According to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, even up to 100 times more polluted. I struggle with allergies myself that poor air quality exacerbates, and so using my air purifier from Air Doctor really helps me manage my allergies. So what's the solution to poor air quality? Air Doctor has introduced an air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens, such as pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold, and even bacteria and viruses, so your lungs don't have to. All Air Doctor purifiers also feature whisper jet fans, 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Want to breathe better? Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code THOUGHTSFROMAPAGE, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code thoughts from a page. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And now back to the rest of the show. Well, what surprised you the most when you were writing this one? Initially, I only had it as Joe's story. So when Norma insisted that her, I say this like she's a person, but she is, she's fully fledged person in my head. And she insisted her story be told. I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. 
That's interesting. And I always love when authors say that to me because I can't even fathom this voice coming and talking to me, but it's something that seems to be pretty common. Yeah, it's just that the characters are very alive to us, I think. Well, at least to me, like um, the audiobook, I find it strange to listen to it because in my head, that's not how they sound. But the audiobook is brilliantly done. The, the voice actors do a lovely job, but it's just because in my head, they've been there for so long and I know what they look like and I know how they speak. And it, it just it was like, oh, that's that's unsettling. <laughs> You're not getting it quite right. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautifully done. And I'm very grateful. But in my head, I'm like, oof, I don't know if anybody could ever get what's in my head out. So (laughs) you'd be saying, okay, let's audition one more group of people. And they'd be like, we've auditioned 20 already. We cannot audition anyone else. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be 20 years later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no audiobook for this book because no one fits the bill for Amanda. (laughs) Yeah, so that would be insanity. (laughs) I did see several reviews talking about what a beautiful audiobook it was. So at least, even if they don't sound like you expect them to sound, people are resonating with the story. Oh, yeah. And they do a great job. It's just my own uh, weirdness, my own idiosyncrasies. Oh, I get that. I mean, I think you talk about what they look like as well. And I think that is sometimes a hard part for authors when the rights are sold, that you have in mind so much what they look like that no actor or actress is going to be able to meet that. Yeah. And it's even just as a moviegoer going to see movies based on your favorite books, you're like, that's not right. That's not how it was in my head. So yeah, it's, it's complicated. (laughs) It definitely is. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Barnes and Noble 2023 Discover Prize winner that you are. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about that award. Yeah, I didn't. I'm I'm Canadian. um, So and I live and work uh, up here. Um, so I just wasn't familiar with it. And then when my uh, marketing team said, I am familiar with Barnes and Noble because I've been to the States and I'm a book person. So I've been in lots of Barnes and Noble stores. They said, you've been uh, shortlisted for the Barnes and Noble Discovery Prize for best new like author book. I'm like, oh, wow. I was like completely shocked. And they're like, we're going to have to get you to come to New York. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. <laughs> like going to New York City for a publishing book event. Um, but the the evening was lovely. We went to the Barnes & Noble on the Upper East Side, I believe, of New York City. And there was a bunch of publishing people and all the other nominees were there and with their amazing books and their amazing people. And when they said that the award goes to Amanda Peters, I was just like, what? This can't be right because there's these remarkable people or remarkable writers in this room with me. So I was just completely shocked and very, very humbled and honored by it. Well, it's just so exciting. I read it a number of months ago. When Pamela Klingerhorn suggested it when she was on my show. And at the time I was like, I don't think I know that book. And I looked it up and you have the most stunning American cover. And so I was like, well, I must read this book. Look at the cover. And so I immediately reached out to your publicist, got the book, literally read it like the day that it came. And I was like, I love this book. And then I was so excited to start seeing all these accolades coming out. I was like, oh, this makes me happy. Oh, thank you. Make me blush here on the other side of the screen. (laughs) Well, it's just nice when you see that happen because it wasn't one I'd seen a lot of pre-press about until all this stuff started bubbling to the surface. And I just think that's great. Yeah. And my, my publisher, Catapult, they're just like this powerhouse. They're just doing an amazing job. So I'm just loving it. They definitely are. And that's another interesting thing. The book came out in Canada in April, Mm -hmm. but it just came out here in end of October, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what was that like having it out in Canada and then having kind of a next round of publishing when it came out in the U.S. in October? Uh, It was nice. In the spring, I got to do a little bit of a tour here in Canada. I went to Toronto and surrounding areas, and I've been doing a few things around 
home. But then in the fall, I was doing all the, the circuit, so to say, the literary circuit here in Canada, while preparing for the launch in the US. And it did launch in the UK on November 2nd as well. So it was just a lot of things going on all at once. And I'm just so grateful to all these people I have in Canada, the UK, and the US who are just helping me navigate this. <laughs> I always think it must be kind of nice to have it spread out a little bit so it's not all happening at one time and you're trying to navigate all of it. It is, except for that the literary uh, festival circuit in Canada is in the fall. Oh, got it. Yeah, like you just said. So you're still in the middle of all of that while it's the U.S. and the U.K. launch. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? But I have a remarkable people to keep me keep me straight in there on the on the road. <laughs> and then you had me continuing to ping you saying, I'd really love to chat with you. I'd really love to chat with you. And you're like, but I'm very busy right now. <laughs> and I just, I was like, I feel so bad. I'm like, oh my goodness, why can't I get this right for this lady? <laughs> oh, not at all. I just had so many people saying, I really hope you're interviewing her. I really hope you're interviewing her. And I was like, I'm trying, but I know she's really busy. So I'm thrilled to pieces that we're getting to chat because it will be one of my top reads of the year. Oh, thank you. And then also one of the Barnes & Noble top reads of the year on top of the Discovery Prize. So that's really exciting. And I'm sure it'll be on all sorts of other lists as well. Yeah, it's on the uh, Barnes & Noble Book of the Year. Um, they're announcing that on Monday, I think. And yeah, it's like the indie pick in the States. That's right, which I love following. Yeah, the indie yeah. next pick for bookstores. Yeah. yeah if, and there's uh, I think it's Amazon uh, Sarah Selects Book Club for November as well. Oh, great. Okay. I hadn't yeah. seen that. Yeah. There's lots of stuff going on. I'm, I'm, I'm really just flabbergasted and excited and overwhelmed in, in the best type of way. So yeah, it's exciting. Well, that is very exciting. I looked at your blurbs and one of them really stood out to me, Morgan Tulte's, because it just beautifully encapsulates the story. And I'm going to read it really quickly. The thing about picking a handful of berries is that each one is different. Some are sweet, some are sour, some extra juicy. The Berry Pickers is just like a handful of berries. It's an unassuming novel filled with so much sweet, so much sour, so much juice. I was only ever hungry when it ended. I read that and I thought that is exactly how I felt. Did you just absolutely swoon when you saw that blurb? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a beautiful blurb. And he's someone who's reading, who's writing, I, I really enjoy. And I was like, Morgan Talty is blurbing me. And he gives me this beautiful metaphor for my book. It was just I was so thrilled at everybody who who supported it. it. It was just fantastic. Yes, you have many amazing blurbs, but that one just with the way it, like you said, is a metaphor for the story. And I have his book of short stories that I still need to read. And after that, I thought, okay, he must write beautifully. So I need to clearly bump that one up my list. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Night of the Living Res or something like that? Yes, Night of the Living Res. And it's okay, a collection of, of interlinked short stories. And it's really, really well done. Okay, good. I had picked it up at some point when I was in New York City. My daughter goes to school there at one of the bookstores, and it's on my list, and so I will get to it soon. That to-be-read pile, right? Yes, which is only ever-growing. Doesn't yeah. seem to shrink nearly as fast as it grows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mentioned your cover, but let's talk a little bit more about it, because literally it's one of those that every time I look at it, I still think that is the most beautiful, beautiful cover. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the cover and how that came about, and then how you chose the berry pickers for the title. Yeah, so the cover is so lush, right? The American cover, and it's just beautiful. And if you get the hardcover, like, the paper is soft on the top, <laughs> the jacket. So I'm just like, oh, everything about it is just stunning. The The title of the book, actually, I just called it when I was writing it, the berry pickers as, as just a way to keep it logged on my computer. So I knew it was the book. I, was, I didn't think that would be the title. I assumed somebody would change it. 
But when I submitted it to HarperCollins here in Canada, they're like, no, that's a perfect title. We'll just keep it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, the, 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 the British, they also chose the same kind of, it's pretty much the same cover, but they just changed the font a little bit on the letters, but it's so stunning. It's just like, I look at it and I'm like, wow, look how lush that is. It really is. It's so vivid. Not only is it lush and beautiful and so vibrant, but the, if you really start looking at it, like the blueberries cover parts of the letters and they're all weaving in and out. Like it's almost like it's alive, like it's the bush surrounding your name and the title. And I just think it couldn't be more beautiful. And I have a galley. I don't have a finished copy. So now I'm going to have to track down a finished copy. Oh, you should. The jacket is just stunning and it's really soft. I don't know why it is that way, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Okay. I must have that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're going to have a conversation afterwards with spoilers for my Patreon community. But before we wrap up this main interview, will you tell me your recommended reads? Oh, this is such a difficult question because I just read so much and I just love books. But um, it is Native History Month in the U.S. So I, I do love um, Kelly Jo Ford's Crooked Hallelujah. Uh, I don't know if you've read that, um, but that is absolutely brilliant. Um, I am rereading um, Jamie Figueroa's book, Brother, Sister, Mother, Explorer. Um, here in Canada, I love uh, Katerina Vermat and Michelle Good. Goodness, there's there's just so many. Um, I recently read um, uh, If an Egyptian Cannot Speak English, which was brilliant. And the winner of the Carol Shields Award this year, um, her book was called, I can't remember it. But if you get a chance, it's, it's a brilliant book. Oh, When We Were Sisters, that's what it's called. Um, so these are just some of the ones that have come off the top of my head. But as a reader, I read like so many books and there's just so many brilliant books out there that I feel like I'll never get the chance to read all of the brilliant books. <laughs> like we just talked about that the stack is just so much greater than we can ever make any dent in. And then it just grows faster than I'll be like, okay, great. I got their book. I'm so happy. And then I look and I feel like I added five in the time that I read the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I found out this year because I'm published now is that if you go to your publisher's office, they let you like take books home with you. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. Yeah, that's dangerous when you only have a small suitcase. <laughs> exactly. You're like, okay, I've got to pick and choose here. Yeah. And then I'm sure you're going to start getting all sorts of requests for blurbs as well. So you're going to have a big stack from that too. Yeah, I have a, I have a couple. I've had a couple so far for um, some friends and that's, that's been exciting. It's a, it's a lovely way to give back to the writing community that is being so generous with me. So yeah, I'm really excited. I always think it's so interesting to read the blurbs and I actually pay attention to them because I want to see what they've pulled out from the story, what really resonated with the particular author. Mm, yeah, I, I pay attention to the blurbs. If someone I really like blurb something, I will buy the book, even if I don't know who it is. Like, I trust them to tell me to not lead me astray, I guess. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Well, and Morgan Talty's book, I'm sure, because you mentioned that one earlier as well, how much you liked it. Yes. And he just sent me a really nice message congratulating me on the Barnes and Noble. So that's nice. That is nice. Yeah. Well, is there anything else I haven't asked you about the book that you want to tell me before you wrap up? Not really. Ultimately, I just want people when they're done and they close the book to say that was a really good story. For me, I've already lived my dream. I wrote a book that's in the world and my mom and dad are proud of it. So everything else is just like sprinkles on the cake. <laughs> I love that. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I can't tell you how excited I was that we were going to get to chat and for everyone to get to hear more about the berry pickers. Well, thank you for having me. It's always exciting to, to talk about this little book that could. Hello. 
and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.